The following feature has been rated R by the Motion Picture Association of America. It is intended for mature audiences and parental discretion is advised. Home box office will show this feature only at night. Thank you. Have a nice day. Oh man, multiple sadness. Welcome to Multiple Sadness, a horrible podcast about horrible movies so bad they're good, but still mostly bad. I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara, and on today's episode, children will put their parents in their places in this week's movie, Beware Children at Play. Now, you might be saying to yourself, is a movie like Beware Children at Play even worth reviewing? Beware Children at Play isn't Children of the Corn. It's not even close. But to that, I say all bad movies deserve a review, even the ones that bring us multiple sadness. And with that, here is the trailer to Beware Children at Play. come to enroll your children into the school of evil. Soon you will learn that the only thing worse than having your children disappear is when they come back. Now, the only way to discipline your children is with a 12-gauge shotgun. Originally released in 1989, Beware Children at Play was written by Fred Sharkey and directed by Mick Cribben. Fred Sharkey has one writing credit on IMDb, and it is this movie. Mick Cribben only has one film directed, which is also this movie. He also appears in the movie as Farmer Isaac Brown. He did second sound uh, on Spider-Man in 2002, so he has done a few other Worked on a few other films, and most recently he appeared as a boom mic operator <laughs> in some unknown film. Uh, IMDb rates this film an astounding 4.1 out of 10 stars, which sounds very high to me. According to IMDb, people who liked this film also liked mostly other trauma films. Toxic Avenger 2, 3, and 4, Rabid Grannies, Return to Newcomb High, and The Children. Other non-trauma movies that other people watched include Blood Hook, Night Beast, Slaughter High, Parents, and Dark Waters. So you can get an idea of what type of film we will be talking about today. We don't need all this hocus-pocus, Sheriff. Uh, there are two actors in this film that had other credits other than this movie. One is Michael Robertson. Uh, he is one of the co-leads of the movie, and he has also starred in four B-movies that I have never heard of. Um, that includes Roadkill from 2010 and a movie called Black Water. The other is Laurie Romero, who actually spent six years on Days of Our Lives. So I'm guessing sometime between when 
Beware Children at Play was filmed and her time on Days of Our Lives, Lori took some acting lessons. Sounds like Beowulf. You remember, John, the Anglo-Saxon epic? Angle what? So let's get started with our dramatic plot summary. And this is a long summary of Beware Children at Play. That's almost a tongue twister. Beware Children at Play. Uh, our movie begins with a kid who is out camping with his father. They are uh, uh, out staying in the woods. And while they are out camping, the father gets caught in a bear trap. Now, while they are running around the woods, they are reenacting scenes from Beowulf, uh, which is a... Angle, this is an important plot point, otherwise I would not go into this, uh, but Beowulf is an Anglo-Saxon epic poem written around sometime between 700 and 1000 AD. Uh, now, Grindel is the main, uh, or one of the main antagonists of Beowulf. Grendel is usually depicted as a monster or a giant, although apparently uh, scholars debate this issue. Uh, and in the poem, Grendel is feared by everyone except for Beowulf. Giants and goblins who battle with God. See that succession of G sounds. Goblins, God, gulp, gobble. Typical Anglo-Saxon poetry. But that doesn't make sense. Why would children run around eating people and then quoting angel acts and poetry? Where would they have learned it? Anglo-Saxon. Now, as this gentleman gets caught in a bear trap in the middle of nowhere, uh, we learn that his name is Professor Randall and that his son is Glenn Randall or G. Randall, which you're supposed to make a connection could be Grindel. <laughs> and again, these are... It's hard to say it's hard to even say plot point in this movie, but uh, that is an important fact. So, uh, Glenn's father, uh, I would say Glenn is probably eight years old, eight to nine years old. Um, his father, Professor Randall, steps in this bear trap and then falls and hits his head on a rock. So now he has multiple injuries. He has a head injury. Uh, his he's bleeding. He's caught in a bear trap, and the wound is getting infected. Uh, and so eventually, from all these injuries, the father passes away. Uh, while he's in this delirious state, he recites a poem, which I believe is part of Beowulf. Uh, he says, God protect us from goblins and ghosties and long-legged besties or beasties uh, and things that go bump in the night. So the man dies, Professor Randall dies, and the kid does what? any eight-year-old kid would do watching their father die. He uh, cuts him open with a knife. He stabs him repeatedly, and then he pulls his organs out and just smiles at them with this evil smile. And in scene. <laughs> so then we jump into the movie, and what's not explained and is not clear at all all is that there is roughly a 10-year jump in time between that scene and the next scene. Uh, so we jump forward in time uh, into a car where two parents and their daughter are driving on some sort of road trip. We have uh, mom, uh, dad, and the daughter. So dad is John, and his last name is DeWolf. So again, we have this kind of close thing to Beowulf. He is John DeWolf. <laughs> Uh, he is a uh, author who writes paperback books about paranormal incidents. Now, he claims that he has investigated these uh, events and that he believes that he is accurately portraying them, but uh, not everyone agrees with him. Then his, his wife's name is Julia. She is an English teacher, and they argue uh, about his books. Then why do they need those covers? Girls with cleavages front and back and finally we have the daughter kara who uh, is in the back seat i have to go potty mommy we'll be there soon kara it's number two and we learn that they are going to the pine barrens of new jersey so that john can visit his brother uh, that is kara's uncle ross and the reason for the trip is because one of uncle ross's daughters has gone missing uh, so 
when we uh, we get there, we meet Uncle Ross. Uh, Uncle Ross is the uh, sheriff of Ellenburg, uh, which is where this takes place. Uh, his wife is Cleo Carr, and then they have a young daughter that's the same age as Kara. Her name is Mary Rose. And then they have an older teenage daughter named Amy who is missing. Um, so during the uh, road trip on their way to their uncle's house, they run across this uh, a broken down car, and and uh, they stop, and there's a Bible salesman. His name is Franklin Ludwig, and one sign of a bad movie. I should I hate to get into the discussion before I do the summary, but uh, one sign of a bad movie is when every character has three minutes of exposition, which is exactly what uh, happens in the car before they see Franklin, and then when they see Franklin, he gives a long speech about the entire history of the town, and I'm surprised you didn't know this, and that people are missing, and and it just goes on and on and on. Instead of showing us things later in the movie, uh, he just kind of sets up what is going on. He's also a that stereotypical Bible salesman that doesn't really believe in the Bible. He's just selling it to these local townsfolk that need copies of the good book. So he's that type of character. How about it? Sorry, we're not really religious. Well, I knew that as soon as you got out of the car. Uh, but eventually, uh, John and his family leave the Bible salesman, and the Bible salesman, uh, Franklin, wanders into the woods, and he immediately gets ta- attacked by this group of wild children who cut him in half uh, with a sickle. So that sets the tone of what's about to happen in Beware Children at Play. So... Uh, when we get to Uncle Ross's house, we also meet Dr. Fish. He is the local uh, psychiatrist who hangs around the house and gives his wife, or not his wife, but uh, Ross's wife, Cleo, uh, shots to sedate her because she gets very hysterical because her daughter has been missing. Uh, so that is the setup, is that these... Uh, that children have uh, started going missing in this town. It's very similar to Children of the Corn. Uh, and then a reporter shows up. Her name is Dale Hawthorne, and she is very critical of the sheriff. And she says, all these kids have gone missing. You're not doing enough uh, to try and find out what is going on. Any comment on the latest disappearance, Sheriff? I mean, do you consider the number 13 to be unlucky or anything? <laughs> Should I just jot down the usual? No clues, no leads, no hits, no runs, no errors. Just 13 kids left on base, except you don't even know where the ballpark is. That is why Uncle Ross has invited his brother John, because he thinks there may be some sort of paranormal connection with the uh, disappearance of the children. So uh, he says, you know, my, my daughter is missing, and... I, you're the only person I think uh, that can help us. What I want you to do is to call a mind reader. <laughs> and so John has a connection where he calls Alice, the mind reader, um, who shows up and, and, you know, she shows up to the police station and says, I can help you, but I need to take a nap first. <laughs> so she immediately leaves to go take a nap. Oh, my. Yes. Yes, indeed. Anything, Mrs. Allegory? Alice, dearie, just Alice. You have to be patient with these things. Alice just got here after a long trip, Ross. She needs to be rested. John, I have to know. You will, dearie. You will. But Johnny is right. I'll do much better after I catch a few Z's. What? Sleep, dearie. A short snooze. But can't you tell me anything? I mean, anything. Your little girl is still alive, dearie, if that's what you want to know. Only she's changed somehow. How? I don't know yet. Let me take the dolly to my cabin and I'll sleep on it. Hmm. Too bad it's not one of those G.I. Joes, huh? Don't worry, dearie. I'll pick up the vibrations like a plant. You know, osmosis. That's osmosis, Mrs. Allegory. Right, dearie. Hold on to him, Johnny. He's a smart one. Uh, and when she wakes up from her nap, she hears voices in the woods. 
And she says, oh, it's the children, you know, and then the children uh, kill the psychic, which every time a psychic dies or gets killed and doesn't see it coming, it's like a joke that writes itself. Um, so, and by the way, I should mention that uh, she goes out, she walks out along this road and it's very obviously the same road that was at the beginning of the movie. So they must not have had very many shooting locations while making Beware Children at Play. And actually uh, saying that this movie has no budget is really punching down. <laughs> It's really taking an easy shot at this movie. Um, so anyway, as Alice is uh, getting killed, the children start chanting this little chant. And they say, tear, tear it to pieces, bite through the bone, gulp the blood, gobble the flesh. So not only do they kill Alice, but then they proceed to eat her. So not only do we have uh, this, all the children in the town that for some reason are acting crazy, um, but they're also cannibals. So they're, they're murdering people and eating them. Uh, so at this point, we kind of split into two factions. We've already met uh, Isaac Brown. He's a local farmer and he is leading a revolt, basically, of the citizens who say, we know what's going on, these kids are in the woods, they're evil, and we need to get rid of them. So he wants to kill all the townsfolk's children, to which all the townsfolk are in on this plan. They all say, yep, we need to kill our kids <laughs> that have escaped. Uh, and then on the other hand, we have the sheriff, and we have uh, John DeWolf and their families who are saying, no, 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 we need to figure out what's going on uh, with these kids and we can rescue our kids uh, and save them and bring them back from this cannibal cult of children. Uh, so this kind of comes to a head. Uh, both factions meet. The uh, uh, the reporter goes out uh, to see the bronze. Now, the reporter is trying to obviously crack the case herself. She goes out in the woods. She finds Mrs. Brown uh, is dead. And by the way, I know that I'm switching back on the pronunciation between Brown and Braun, but they do that in the movie too. So I feel like that uh, I'm in the clear for doing that. Uh, but she finds Mrs. Brown dead out in the woods. Um, and then she falls through a trap, like a, a, like a Vietnam style trap with punji sticks that, that impales her. Um, so, so we lose the reporter. We've lost Mrs. Brown. Uh, now the father uh, goes to uh, John, he goes to the police station. Um, so they're working that angle from the police station, but while they're there, uh, uh, John or not John, uh, the uncle, uh, uncle's wife is killed. It gets confusing to track how many people are killed in this movie. Um, so uh, uncle Ross, his wife is killed. Cleo Carr, uh, the, the children come into her house and kill her. Um, and then the mom, uh, John's wife, DeWolf, she's kidnapped, uh, and they take her to the woods. And so again, uh, we now have these, you know, these two factions that are working against each other. We have Farmer Brown and all the locals who are looking for the kids to kill them. And then we have, uh, uh, again, the sheriff and, and the, the author who are looking to find the kids, you know, especially find the sheriff's daughter, Amy, who has gone missing. Uh, so the sheriff comes back. And uh, comes into where the children are, and the children attack the sheriff, and they kill him. Uh, <laughs> doesn't put up much of a fight. Um, but now the uh, uh, the crowd, you know, is kind of turning nasty against uh, the sheriff and the author. Again, they're they don't they don't want to rescue the children. They want to put an end uh, to the children. So um, John comes back, and he discovers that the kids are having a sacrifice. They have his wife on an altar and they are going to sacrifice her. There are exactly 13 kids, they say. Um, and so the, uh, so John basically starts a fight, uh, with the leader of this. And, and somehow through all of this, we learn that the leader of these children is Glenn Randall, uh, the kid that we saw at the very beginning, AKA Grindel. And so, um, 
He rescues Amy, which was uh, his brother's daughter, so his niece. Uh, he rescues her from the group, and she is nutty as a fruitcake. <laughs> she keeps saying things like, are you going to touch me like Grendel touches me? And I'm like, ah, oh, this is weird, man. This is gross. I don't uh, – and and there's another scene. I, I didn't even talk about this, but uh, before they, they sacrifice uh, John DeWolf's wife um, – Grindel rapes her and all the children stand around watching. And that is one of the most disturbing. Like I can watch horror movies. I can watch anything, but I don't like rape scenes. And I really, really, I, I don't even feel like I need to say this. Like I think everybody, I think we could all be on board on this together. I don't think any of us like rape scenes where children are also watching. <laughs> like, I don't think that's a, 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 you know, an uncommon stance to take. So that's one of the most, other than the ending, one of the most disturbing parts of the movie. Um, so anyway, now we have the final showdown. We have the children that are uh, have shown up that are going, you know, they're going to attack everyone. We have Farmer Brown, uh, who is leading the revolt, and then we have the author. And so the author, uh, John DeWolf, he gets up and he starts giving a speech. And he says, you know, um, listen, these are our children. They need our love. They need our blah, blah, blah. And then Farmer Brown just shoots him in the head. <laughs> He shoots the protagonist of the film in the head. <laughs> and so now what we realize is that John DeWolf, who has just been shot in the head and killed, is the only person saving the children from the townsfolk. And so now we have the five-minute climax of the film, which is what this film is known for Uh all of the children are killed in very graphic detail. <laughs> so there is no, nothing left to the imagination here. Um, you know, a kid gets stabbed. I'm going to talk about this later in the, uh, the killer B section of the movie, but kids are stabbed. Kids are shot. Kids are killed in very violent and disturbing ways. Uh, and every one of them is shown on screen. So there is nothing left to the imagination. The last five minutes of this film are, Kids that are 10 to 15 years old just being murdered. <laughs> I'm only laughing because it is so ridiculous. It is unbelievable that anybody, I mean, the only reason to make this, uh, to shoot this would be to offend people. But nobody thought this was art. Nobody thought they were making, uh, any sort of, uh, message with this. It's really just, to see what can we try to get away with, uh, you know, with a movie. And so that's, that's what this is. Um, so at the very end, the, um, after all the children have been killed, the townspeople go away. And, um, uh, John's young daughter, Kara, who is probably eight years old, uh, we find out was hiding. She's hiding underneath John's dead body. So she has survived the massacre by hiding underneath her father's dead body. And so she emerges and she walks around. There's something about this scene that reminds me of the footage from Jonestown because she walks around and there's just dead bodies laying still everywhere. She walks among the bodies. It's very silent. Uh, and then at the very end, she sees a rabbit hopping and then she growls and pulls out a knife and tries to stab the rabbit. And that is how the movie ends. So I guess what we are supposed to believe is that she has been corrupted uh, by Grindel and uh, that she maybe will continue this. I don't know. I don't think it's supposed to make a lot of sense, um, but that's how it ends. So. Um, one of the trivia facts about this movie that is mentioned during the introduction on the DVD from Lloyd Kaufman and also mentioned in the trivia section on IMDb is that the trailer to this film was shown at the Cannes Film Festival before Tromeo and Juliet, which is another tra uh, trauma film. And during the trailer, half the audience got up and walked out of the theater. So not people who saw the movie were offended. People who saw the trailer <laughs> were offended enough to leave the the uh, uh, movie theater. So, again, that's what we have here. It's not – I find it difficult to call this art. I find it difficult to find um, any meaning behind the story. I really think this is a Children of the Corn ripoff 
that got notoriety because it included a five-minute scene at the end of the movie where they kill children. So anyway, that is the essential plot summary. Let's get started talking about uh, my impressions and some details about Beware Children at Play. Hey, trauma guys and gals. How often has this happened to you? You finish watching one of our fine feature films, like maybe The Toxic Avenger. Or is it the class of Newcomb High? And you're wondering, how did they do that? Who is Lloyd Kaufman and how did he get that way? And where do they get that money? Where do they find those actors? How do I get men and women to let me film their naked bodies? And why does everything happen in Tromaville, New Jersey? What you really want to know is, how do I make my own independent film? Well, we've got the answer. We can take you from how did they do that to I can do that. All this, plus all the behind-the-scenes stories from Troma's 25-year history. And the secrets of the pyramids. Are revealed in Lloyd Kaufman's upcoming book. Kaufman's story will be published this summer by Boulevard Books, a wholly owned and licensed imprint of the Penguin Putnam Group. Which is itself the sort of titanic media empire that we at Troma completely abhor. Watch for it. I like a book. So first, how did I hear about this movie? Well, I think I probably told this same story on the Sergeant Kabuki Man episode of uh, Multiple Sadness, but... Shortly after I got a DVD player, I read an article in a magazine about trauma and trauma films. I went online on eBay and I found an auction that had 20 to 25 trauma DVDs. And I bought that and this was one of the DVDs that came uh, in that package. So I had not heard of the film prior to purchasing it, but I just bought a big lot of uh, trauma films and this DVD was in there. For the title breakdown, uh, it's pretty simple. It says beware with an exclamation mark. And then it says children at play. Um, so I guess, you know, I mean, you have that. So you have that warning idea like beware, right? So that's part of the title uh, breakdown. And then children at play. Although really the children aren't playing <laughs> in this movie. So uh, is it a great, is it a great title? I don't know, maybe, but uh Seems like, um, you know, beware children not, not playing or I don't know that there could be something else there. Uh, so for the cover and the cover breakdown of the DVD, you have one of those, uh, yellow diamond warning signs like you would see on the back of these cars that say, you know, beware uh, baby on board, those type of things. So it's a, a yellow diamond shaped road sign. And there is a, uh, you know, stick figures, just like you would see on those like uh, construction or warning road sign. There's a woman getting stabbed in the back by a small child. Although because the placement and the child is smaller and where the knife is, it really looks like she's getting stabbed in the butt. <laughs> but, uh, but I think you're, you're the takeaway is that the kid has a knife and the mother is looking the other way. So, uh, that's, that's, uh, you know, what they're trying to convey. Uh, the word beware is scrawled in blood so that we know this is a, uh, a horror movie. And, um, then it says, uh, well, and then children at play is below and just normal, uh, just a, a regular style font. Uh, and then there's a, of course, the Troma logo is here on the front of the DVD. I'm looking at it right here. Uh, there's a warning and then there's a quote that says gut wrenching horror. So, uh, that's not how I would describe it, but I would definitely put this movie as, uh, uh, offensive. Um, in regards to the plot and plot pacing, uh, I mentioned this early on, but, uh, you know, I, I'm more, my background is more in writing, obviously, than filmmaking. I've never made a film, but I've written lots of things. And the thing that, that writers, you'll hear writers, uh, I mean, one of the most common bits of writing advice is to show, not tell. So we don't say that a character is hungry. We talk about the, the noise her stomach makes, 
uh, as it rumbles because she hasn't eaten in a few days. We don't say this character is poor. We sh- we talk about instead of shoes, she has rags tied around her feet, right? So that is uh, essential to painting these pictures in people's minds. And the same thing applies to movies. So when a character is poor, you don't just have them talking to another character saying, boy, am I really poor? You have to show these things. So you have one character say, hey, let's go eat. And the other one says, I wish I could. I don't have any money, you know. And so so you convey these type of ideas. Um, this movie doesn't do any of those things. It's like a really poorly written screenplay that was made directly, you know, converted into a movie. So, uh, and, and the, again, an easy way to spot this in any movie is long... Uh, parts of exposition, like when at the beginning, when the DeWolves are driving in the car, you know, they're having conversations that two people should know. Like when my wife comes home every day from work, I don't say, you know, I know that you work at this uh, place and that you normally have meetings every day. So I don't understand why the meeting you're having tomorrow would be different than the meetings that you've had in the past that included meetings with so like people don't do that. You don't that that's not a way people talk, you know. And so the car scene is a long exposition of them setting up what's going on. You know, ever since your uncle's daughter died, you've been fascinated with these novels. And I, you know, and it's just weird. And then they meet the preacher guy and he gives more. And then they go to the, the sheriff and he gives more. It's like every single person in this movie just has long bits where it's not, it doesn't even feel like dialogue. And, and another a sign of poorly written dialogue is when one person talks for a couple of minutes and then the other person says, go on. <laughs> and then the first person talks for another two minutes. It's like, you feel like the dialogue was so long that you had to break it up, but the other character doesn't have anything to say. So they just go, well, tell me more. <laughs> and that happens a lot in this movie uh, as well. Uh, I like to comment on the social commentary and if this were an original film, I might be willing to say maybe there's some social commentary about kids being disenfranchised or, uh, you know, kids wanting to rise up. I mean, there could be something there, but there really isn't anything in this movie that's that original. I mean, the the it, it's really literally just children of the corn, but but done not nearly as well and with a lot of gratuitous violence uh thrown in the end so i don't know maybe the maybe the social commentary is that you can rip off a more popular movie put in something extreme and 20 years later sell some copies of it on dvd (laughs) maybe that's what they were trying to do uh as far as directing and editing it's so obvious that most of the people in this movie have only been in one movie um sometimes when they read their lines, it's like they're reading and and the director doesn't tell them what it's supposed to sound like. So they're reading the words off the script, but they don't, they don't sound right. Like the, um, the inflection of the words is not correct. So not good direction, uh, not good editing. There are lots of sound issues. The sound goes up and down in different scenes. Uh, you could tell that, um, you know, they obviously, they didn't record over, audio or fix any of the sound issues that are in the background. So not, I mean, this is not a well um, produced movie Uh, writing and acting. I think I covered that Uh, again, way too much dialogue and uh, the acting is not good. Um, I don't know where this was filmed. Normally I like to talk about filming locations, but it was obviously filmed, you know, in some small town where they had access to a few buildings and a a field, which is where most of the the things take place. A lot of it takes place um, inside Ross's house. So there's obviously some shooting inside a house. Um, Some of the shooting, I mean, there's a shooting location inside John DeWolf's car. And then the rest of it is pretty much out in the woods. And there is a shot in a public library. So my, my guess is they found some, you know, town or, some place where they were able to just do some shooting. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Um, special effects and stunts. So the special effects, if you've ever seen a extreme trauma movie, 
you know that there's going to be lots of gore and lots of goopy, and their goal is never to be realistic, I don't think, in their depiction, although there's some pretty graphic stuff in this movie I'll, I'll talk about shortly. But, um, you know, so there's going to be, every time somebody dies, there's going to be lots of blood. There's always going to be these, uh, you know, when, when uh, at the very beginning, when the preacher is cut in half with a sickle, He's literally severed in half at the waistline, and then he crawls away, like scooches back. Oh, oh! And I mean, it's really long scene, and you go, "That's not how someone would act if they're cut in half." They don't moan for another twenty seconds and try to crawl away. So, up until the ending of the movie, most of the the deaths are pretty. I don't want to say comical because that makes them seem lighthearted, but. Not very realistic when the um, Mrs. DeWolf is sacrificed on the altar. Uh, Grendel or Glenn Randall cuts her heart out and picks it up kind of like uh, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. And he holds it up. And, of course, the heart's beating and it looks like a heart that you get at, uh, you know, any Halloween supply store. So, uh, you know, there's lots of blood. I don't know that it most of it's not uh, realistic, but... Uh, Anyway, uh, even though I, this is the part of the show where I typically list five quotes from the film, uh, my top five favorite bad quotes. And I have to tell you, I had five quotes from the first five minutes of this film. This film is so terrible that the dialogue is so awful that everything that they say <laughs> made me want to... Uh, cut it out and play it. So anyway, I did have to narrow it down to five because this is a top five. So anyway, here are my top five quotes from Beware Children at Play. Number five. Barbie's not a doll. Barbie is an addiction. You know what Barbie leads to? Barbie hats, Barbie dresses, Barbie houses, who knows, Barbie Kotex. Once Barbie gets you, you're God. Number four. And this woman was just lying on the ground with all this blood. And, and then they started this horrible chanting. Oh, God, it was so awful. Chanting? What do you mean? You know, like reciting something together. Number three. What do you make of it? Some kind of voodoo thing? It's not like any voodoo ritual I've ever heard of. And believe me, in my business, I've heard of a lot of them. Number two. Now you too are in exile. Cursed and outcast. Shut up. Number one. In one of your books, you talked about a, a medium, mind reader, something, who helped police crack cases. I gotta know, is she for real, or, or did you pad your stories to make it seem real? Mind readers? What are you talking about, Ross Carr? And now, it's time for The Killer Bees. Wait a minute. You must be the... That's right, gringo. The Killer Bees. <laughs> The killer bees include bloody bodies, boobs, background blinks, B-movie tropes, and boggling questions from this film. So let's get started with bloody bodies. Uh, at the beginning of the film, we have Professor Grindle, uh, who, uh, or Professor Randall, excuse me, uh, who dies from an infected bear trap wound. We have the Bible salesman who is cut in half with a sickle and ripped. We have the psychic uh, who goes out in the woods and is killed by the children. We have Mrs. Brown who ends up as a human scarecrow with rats crawling out of her eye sockets. Uh, the reporter lady uh, falls on top of a strip of wood with spikes cut in it. That is a trap left by the children. Then we have Mom DeWolf uh, who is uh, stabbed by the children, I believe. And then uh, we have uh, the sheriff, uh, his deputy, is killed by the children. Then we have Cleo, who is sacrificed on the altar and has her heart cut out. Uh, and John DeWolf, who, after giving a heartfelt speech of why we should save the children, in the middle of the speech, he is shot in the head by Farmer Brown. Then we have the big battle against the children, which begins... And I may have missed a few because I was typing quickly as this went through, and I really didn't feel like watching it a second time. Uh, Grendel is shot by Farmer Brown. Amy, who is the older daughter of uh, uh, the sheriff 
Amy is shot. There are two other small children who are shot. One kid gets stabbed in the back with a knife. Another kid is shot in the head. Uh, one is shot in the back. There's a girl who gets shot. There's a kid who gets pinned to a piece of wood with a pitchfork through the neck. Uh, one kid is stuck on the back with a hatchet. By the way, these townsfolk have brought every weapon <laughs> that you can think of. Not just guns, but we have pitchforks, hatchets, and so on. Uh, there's a child who is shot in the gut. There's one who is held down and choked somehow with a two-by-four until blood comes out of his neck. I don't really know the logistics of how that works. One is shot with an arrow from a bow, uh, bow and arrow. One uh, is held down on the ground and has his head blown off with a shotgun. That one's nice. Um, probably the most disturbing one is a child who has a gun placed, a, a revolver placed in his mouth, and the gun goes off and we see blood splatter behind his head onto a piece of wood. That one's pretty disturbing. And then finally, uh, one child is just held in place and a machete is stabbed, uh, pressed through his stomach, although it's like we used to do when we were five years old. And you can clearly see that the machete is going between his body and his arm. <laughs> so, uh, we have, I'm just looking here, scrolling back through my list, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine people at least who are killed before uh, the grand finale. And then we have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, at least 16 children who are killed in the last five minutes. There may have been more, but I think that's that captures most of them. Uh, now, as far as boobs, let me tell you, I love B-movie boobs. Um, I just, uh, you know, that, that's part of the 80s. That's part of these type of films, they always, you know, they know that the movies are bad. How can they get a little bit of extra rating? Well, let's throw in some nudity. However, the only nudity in this movie comes in a rape scene. Uh, I don't like rape scenes. Uh, it's a different kind of horror, you know. When you see Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street is a horror movie where a guy obviously has killed, you know, Freddy has killed children and he's killing more children. But... He's not raping people. You know, that's just a different kind of horror. Uh, and maybe it didn't bother me as much when I was 26. Now I'm 46. I don't, I'm not, not that I'm saying I liked, <laughs> I'm digging a hole here that I liked rape scenes when I was 26. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, I, for some reason, you know, the older I get, uh, it's more disturbing to me. And so, uh, there's again this scene where obviously it's been put into the movie, uh, to get nudity in here. There's, it doesn't do anything for the plot. There's no reason why they would, they're going to sacrifice her. So there's no reason why Glenn Randall would have sex with her for any reason. Uh, but he does. And again, all the young children, we're talking ages 10 to 15, are standing around in a circle watching this happen. So, um, we do get to see, uh, Aunt Cleo's boobs, difficult to enjoy <laughs> in that situation. Um, background blinks in the film. There is one moment where they find uh, John DeWolf who is napping on a hammock and the children show up and one of the children says, the Outlander must die. Now, if you know anything about Children of the Corn, you know that the children are referred to uh, the people who showed up in town as Outlanders. So I thought... It's pretty obvious this movie is a copy or a ripoff of Children of the Corn, but throwing in the word Outlander <laughs> really makes it pretty obvious. So I thought that the only reason that would be there, it has to be there uh, as a reference to Children of the Corn. Hey, stop it. Cut it out. Stop it. The Outlander must die. Yeah. Yeah. Then we get into B-movie tropes. These are things that uh, don't seem to happen in real life, but we see them a lot in B-movies. The first trope is that children, for some reason, are super strong. Um, I've said this before. I think I said this on Throwback Reviews when Sean and I reviewed uh, Children of the Corn. But I feel like I can beat up any 10-year-old in the world. Like, even a kid maybe that's had some karate or whatever, I still feel like I could beat up a 10-year-old. And so it's amazing in these movies when someone is running and a bunch of 10-year-olds show up 
and they just go, oh, I'm dying, and they lay down, and then they let the 10-year-olds kill them. I don't think that would happen in real life, but for whatever reason, people just seem to lay down and, and prepare for death when these uh, 10-year-olds show up. Another B-movie trope that we often see in these types of movies is the religious nut job. This is the uh, guy at the beginning that's selling Bibles. And a for whatever reason, I don't know why uh, they, in these movies, I mean, I, I realize that you have to have a character and character traits. Uh, but for some reason, it, the religious person is never normal. It's always uh, this weird caricature. I mean, in this case, not only is the guy eccentric and a storyteller or whatever, but he also makes this point of saying, uh, even though he calls the Bible uh, the good book, but he clearly makes it known that he's just selling it because it's a business. You know, I just make a living selling the good book back to these people, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, we see this type of character again and again in B movies. Um, I mentioned the sacrifice where the heart is pulled out and is still beating and shown to everyone. That's obviously a uh, B movie trope. And then, like I mentioned with the children, uh, people not fighting back when they're about to be killed. Um, I don't understand in these movies again where they obviously someone writes, you know, okay, 10 year old attacks with sickle and cuts grown man in half. But I feel like I could defend myself against an attack from a 10 year old with a sickle. I feel like I could survive that attack. Um, possibly just by yelling at them or threatening to take away their phone. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, so plenty of B-movie tropes in this movie. It's not very original. And then finally, uh, boggling questions. I got ahead of myself here. Um, but that is a question. How hard is it to beat up a child? I just don't think it's that difficult. Um, I'm not, uh, you know, proposing a boxing match between me and a small child. But I'm just saying, uh, I think if a kid tried to kill me, I would fight back harder than the people in this movie. So, uh, multiple sadness rating. How much do I enjoy this movie on a scale of one to five? I'm going to give this movie two pitchforks to the neck. Um, it's a terrible movie. And I mean, it is definitely a bad movie. The, your enjoyment is going to come. First of all, nobody enjoys this movie the first time through. Uh, and that implies that to enjoy it, you'll have to be watching a second or third or, you know, I've probably seen this movie at least five times. Um, so you're not going to enjoy it the first time through because the pacing is so weird. The exposition is so long. There's so many bad things about this movie that make it unenjoyable. And then it's like telling a 90 minute long joke that's not very good and then having a five-minute punchline at the end. So uh, the second time I watched this movie was when I had a friend come, come over to my house who also uh, enjoys bad movies. And I was like, you got to watch this. And then the whole first hour and a half, he's like, this movie is terrible. I'm like, wait for it, wait for it. And then you have the five minutes in the end where all the children are slaughtered. And he's like, I can't believe this is in a movie. And I'm like, I know. Right. So that's where my initial enjoyment came uh, of this film was sharing it with people because it's literally so awful that it's unbelievable how bad this movie is. Um, but, you know, as someone who writes fiction, as someone who constructs stories and stuff, at this point, I do enjoy the movie on that level of watching someone try to put together a story and fail so miserably at it. I mean, there is a story here about children that have gone off, but, you know, nothing about it is plausible and, and nothing is set up. And the way that it's constructed is not good. It's not that suspense is not built uh, through action or dialogue or all this. It's literally just these scenes that don't make a lot of sense. Characters come and go. You know, the psychiatrist, I didn't even talk about him because he just disappears halfway through the movie. There's no, he doesn't get killed. He doesn't, you know, and of course, maybe this should go back under boggling questions or B-movie tropes, but nobody calls a higher police <laughs> like i get that this sheriff is trying to solve it but it's literally it's like a two-man police operation in this small town they don't call anybody else they don't call the state police perhaps 
of New Jersey and say, hey, we got a problem. All of the children in our town have disappeared and they are slaughtering people. Can you send some backup? <laughs> so there's all these ideas that when you watch it uh, as a writer, it's just a reminder of how you have to think about things. You know, if things aren't plausible, people are going to question why they're they're happening that way. And so if you can explain them, uh, then good for you. But if you leave weird questions that aren't explained, you're, you're going to lose your audience. And so that's what happens with this movie. So um, it's definitely not one that I watch for enjoyment. I don't throw this on uh, and watch it. But uh, the, every time that I have watched it, I always think about, you know, just how poorly this idea uh, was executed. That brings us to the end of another episode of Multiple Sadness. If you want to find more episodes of Multiple Sadness or my other podcasts, check out my website at podcast.robohara.com. Uh, if you want to follow my podcast and interact on Facebook, go to facebook.com forward slash robcasts. You can uh, see my other podcasts there and, and talk about this episode or any episode of any of my other shows. Uh, Multiple Sadness is a proud member of Throwback Network. Uh, that is your home for quality retro podcasts. I believe right now you need to go to throwbackreviews.com, and there's a link there for Throwback Network, so uh, you can find more information there. And, of course, if you want to come chat about this movie or any other bad movies or make recommendations, you can find me on Twitter at Commodore. So thanks again for listening to Multiple Sadness. And as I run across other bad movies in the future, we'll all meet back together here and talk about them again. Thanks for listening.